1: This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast, and a Royal Blue Podcast we all wish we didn't have to do on the back of an abysmal 4-1 home defeat for Everton against Liverpool last night. I'm your host today, Sam Carroll, and I'm joined by Chris Beasley, and Adam Jones in the Liverpool Echo office on Old Hall Street in Liverpool and in his dark teenage bedroom <laughs> with the curtains drawn in a state of mourning. Is Dave Prentice. Good morning, Dave. Just woke up.
2: No, not at all, but the sun's shining very brightly outside. And if I had the windows drawn, you wouldn't be able to see a thing. So, you know, at least you can see just the dim dim silhouette of uh, me. I'm probably best not to see my face at the moment now because we are in a state of mourning, as you say. No
0: light at the end of the tunnel for Everton. No light at the end of the tunnel for Rafa Benitez. Adam, I want to start with you. We have just, in the last hour or so, seen that Farhad Mashiri, in all his wisdom, has texted Jim White of Talk Sports to update Everton supporters on the
3: situation
0: regarding Rafa Benitez as manager of Everton Football Club.
3: Not the best move. No. No, I think it's downright disrespectful, to be honest, to Everton supporters. It's a bit of a slap in the face. I don't think anybody's necessarily surprised that Farhad Machedi has gone down his own sort of unique brand of you know, communication, in air quotes, to go to to uh, to go to Jim White and do this. But, you know, just sending send yeah, any sort of journalist or radio host or anybody like that a text and thinking that that's going to be OK in a situation such as this is just... It's just really disrespectful to those fans, you know, who've made themselves very clear. You know, they made themselves clear that in that Brentford match when they brought that that banner with them, which I think, is, you know, in no uncertain terms was directed at, you know, not just the players and the coaching staff, but the board as well. Uh, and then the exact same happened uh, on Wednesday night, didn't it? You know, there was the, the banner was back out. Uh, we all saw those scenes. A full time, you know, with board members getting a lot of angry supporters facing them at the end of the game, and uh, so for Farhad Mashiri to come out with this sort of statement, you know, he, he was conspicuous in his absence. You'd have to say from that Merseyside derby. I know he only gets a, a set amount of days that he can come into the UK on his visa, but yeah. you know, he can't come in for a Merseyside derby. That's one he chooses to miss. I think that's a that's a really really strange one on a on my on in, in my thinking. Uh, and, yeah, for, for him to essentially skate around the issue of, you know, the Everton fans are directing their anger at the board as well as at the manager and at the players at this at this current juncture, for him to kind of, you know, essentially avoid that question altogether and just, like, essentially just send the text about Rafa Benitez. I think it's just... It's, it is just so, so disrespectful. And I, I just don't understand why he doesn't come out, you know, in you know the official club channels. Sit down and, have, like address these questions directly you know it, it it comes as no surprise really that everton have just cancelled their in-person general meeting haven't they yeah. uh, you know covid regulations is probably going to be the main reason for that but it's very very handy that the the uh, people in charge are not going to be answering direct questions from uh from the club shareholders in in a direct forum such as that well to be honest well, he didn't even attend the last in-person general meet either. So, yeah, I, th- I think he really needs to—he really needs to change up his, his methods of communication because fans just aren't going to accept this anymore. You know, the fans were already hugely angry, uh, and quite rightly so. You'd have to say after yesterday's performance and you know what's essentially been a culmination of many, many years of frustrations and uh, stuff like this is only going to make things worse. So. The owner really needs to rethink what he's going to be doing in the future and hopefully he's going to be able to give supporters a more direct line of communication soon.
0: Dave, Farhad is very much his own man and a very rich man and he can obviously do as he pleases, but there's got to be people leaning on him surely who might be suggesting things like texting Jim White on talks for the day after a humiliation at your arch-rivals is not the best of ideas?
2: He's been lent on many, many times in the past, and, you know, So should we politely say advised what might be a good course of action, and has always acted independently and uh, and done his own thing, notably in the (laughs) agreement of Rafael Rafael Benitez, you know, which, uh, you know, so it wasn't so universally... Agreed upon decision. Uh, Likewise, when he appointed Sam Allardyce, um, I'm thinking of the bid for Wilfried Zaha that went in, you know, and very, very soon afterwards, the club put out a statement saying that actually, no, they they had made a bid, but they weren't pursuing it. Um, He often does appear to do things without um, talking to and cooperating with other people at the football club. And this is the latest one. I mean, I don't think he's naive enough uh, to have believed that, you know, what he would say in a text message to Jim White wouldn't suddenly be made public. I mean, Jim might have made everything else that he said to him in public. So, you guess he's going to do exactly the same thing again. Uh, but, as, as we've said, you know, so many times before, he, he does things off his own bat. And that's part of the problem, really. Um, you know, so that there needs to be a lot more agreement uh, between, you know, so of the powers that be. It's almost like there's so many divisions at the football club, and it goes right to the very, very top. So, no, not surprised at all uh, to, see, um, to see Farhad, you know, sort of doing things off his own bat and I agree that people at the football club will be a little bit surprised and a little bit disgruntled as well not least the media team that you know would totally accept and believe that statements like that you know effectively votes of confidence in the manager's future should be put out on the official channels you know so rather than in a text message to an independent channel so I'm guessing that it's not just us who are irritated by it I think lots and lots of people at the football club themselves will also be irritated by it
0: I think what makes it worse, B's, is that mm-hmm. it's not even a surprise anymore. When we were finishing off in work last night, or just after midnight, it, it was jokingly suggested, Farhad will be on Talk sport tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Wake up next morning and there he is.
1: Yeah, like I said, uh, this is, this is um, standard Mr Machine, isn't it? This is the way it, it, it it's always been and it it was unfortunate last night obviously those who were there attending the match those high-ranking club officials like to Bill Kenwright and Marcel Brands they were the ones who were in the firing line after the the final whistle just um they were there um whereas Mr Machiri as Adam has said wasn't there I don't think he's been there since the first game of the season the the opening match of the Benitez era and yeah it, it, it was strange because for all the, the humiliation over, um, I suppose, when Benitez was appointed, and let's let's have this right, it's the most controversial appointment in this CC story of football history. Um, if you'd have said, fast forward to December, first derby under Benitez, and what's like was, what's like the worst scenario you could you could imagine. And it'd be you know, going in on a, a winless run like this, the sort of form that Everton have shown, and then being humiliated by Liverpool with their fans cheering Rafa's name, something that hasn't happened en masse with, with Evertonians. I mean, it's the absolute worst you you could have imagined. So the fact that, again, like I say, Mr Machiri wasn't there and then he comes out with uh, this sort of line of communications, it sort of, sort of exemplifies the, the mess that the, the club are in. Because on the one hand, this is the man who is going to deliver, is going to finally make Everton stadium dream and new stadium dream into a reality. But from a football inside of things, those the five years since he took control of the club, it's become an absolute shambles. There's this patchwork quilt of a squad now that they've got, the way that the team the team are playing just seems no heart. There's a like culmination of six managers efforts under you know in the space of five years. And ultimately it's Mr Machiery who makes those decisions to, to hire and fire those bosses and bring in the players that um, he has done and you have to say, unfortunately for him, he's, he's largely squandered that fortune and, and, and building that team.
2: The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy.
1: What are you doing later? Let's drink
3: a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes!
2: Audiences are falling in
3: love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy.
1: Fall guy. the poster said? See
3: Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy.
1: Trying to make it out?
3: Because
2: nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now.
3: What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. One of the
0: more interesting things to come out after the match caught on camera. Adam, with Marcel Brands being confronted by an angry Everton fan, and credit to to Brands for for stopping and having that discussion. But Brands himself said, didn't he? That there was almost like a pointed line in, in which he says, "Is it only the players? What do you think he meant by that?" It's
3: really interesting, isn't it? You know, there's been I've, I've seen a lot of debate on social media about whether he's you know, talking about the fans or his other members of the board or the the coaching staff. You know, genuinely, he could have. He could have meant anything. And, it, you know, it goes back to you know, this lack of communicate, well, real communication that we've been talking about with Farhad Machiri that extends to Marcel Brands as well. When was the last time Everton's director of football came out and, you know, gave a point-by-point sort of plan to supporters about which direction this club is meant to be going in? Yeah. Uh, and I, I realise it's difficult for him because, you know, usually you'd expect the director of football to be the person who like a the manager and he is the man who then, sets up the direction and you know there's no real there's no real sense that marcel brands has been allowed to do that essentially you know he's been given this position of director of football but is he really a director of football you know when when you're working with the likes of carlo ancelotti and rafa benitez you know these are very high profile managers who are you know i don't want to say set in their ways but you know they are a little bit set in their ways essentially so what what does marcel brands do in that situation he's got to He's got to mould himself around them rather than the other way around, which is, which is not the way that a director of football should work. But saying that, I think you know the the kind of lack of communication from Brands is is a really pointed thing, and it, that then leads into you know, that comment that he made yesterday. Everton fans don't really know what he meant by that comment because we we hardly really hear from him. You know, he he makes a, a few comments in Dutch media, you know, a few times a season, but that's essentially that's essentially all we hear in terms of. Direct communication from it Well, he does speak at the general meetings, I suppose, as well. But you know, once once a year uh, is, is isn't really isn't really enough in my head. So he, genuinely, he could have he could he, he could have meant anything in that scenario. You know, it's it's it was a very it seems to be a very heated sort of dis- well on, on one end it was a very heated discussion from that fan wasn't he? You, you know, wanted wanted answers. You know, he was talking about brands' recruitment of. The players that took to the pitch yesterday, and you know, he, he seemed to suggest that it wasn't it wasn't just the recruitment side of things that uh, that was that was the issue. And you know, you've got to say, I, I, can, <laughs> I do agree with him. You know, it's yeah. not just it's not just recruitment that's led them down this road. It's been a whole a whole litany litany of things. So it's really hard to you know put your finger on what Marcel Brands was actually talking about. And you know, again, <laughs> as, as with Machidi, I'd like to see. You know, him sit down with the club's official channels and then give give his you know full thoughts on where the club is going in the future. And, you know maybe take some questions from supporters as well in the upcoming general meeting. You know it's it's just a real mess. It it, it is just another signification of the real mess that Everton find themselves in at the minute, and it's it, it is really sad to see, isn't it? That you don't want to see scenes like that at Goodson Park, but you know in a, in a way you know. I think everybody, everybody at every level at the club at the minute needs to be held accountable for what for what's going on. It's not just the players' fault. It's not just the manager's fault. It's not just the board's fault. It's everybody, it's everybody collectively at the minute, which is who, who's failing, and it's it's really sad to see.
0: Preno, Phil Cipriani wrote in his post match verdict last night that Marcel Brands was left looking shell shocked by the reaction of Everton fans at the full time whistle and. When Bill Kenwright and Denise Barrett-Baxendale were caught on camera during the game, I think the same reaction could be applied to them. But it puts a lot of pressure on the power brokers at Everton in the coming days and makes the game against Arsenal even more important when you kind of factor in that reaction.
2: Yeah, that worries me, the, um, the, the, the reaction of the crowd and the impact it could have and what, again, is a very, very important game on Monday now. Well, they're all very, very important, aren't they? But, you know, you saw in the final whistle last night, some of the players heading towards the Gladys Street end to applaud them, you know, for their support during the game. And it was almost like there was a force field put in front of the, uh, in front of the, you know, the stand. They got so close and I thought, hang on, is this wise? Maybe, you know, some bearing in mind, you know, the reaction that they got down at Brentford. And then eventually, you know, so, because he didn't get that close, one fan actually came out and, uh, you know, confronted of all people, Anthony Gordon. You know, so, and you just wonder, like, you know, so what is a young lad like that, you know, so sort of going to have put into his head by, you know, occasions and experiences like this? Um, it, it It's worrying, you know, so it, it's, I know it's a double-edged sword, you know, the, the fans only react to what they're seeing on the pitch, but equally, you know, so sort of can they do more to try and, you know, sort of inspire the players? You know, it's a chicken and egg situation. You don't know really, do you? You know, so what, what should come first? But it worries me now that, you know, so Monday night it could be, it could be horrible, you know, So if Everton start badly again when it needs to be. Do you think? Back was it the uh, 2016 season when we'd had like a really bad run under Koeman and they played Arsenal in a night match and it was uh, yeah. one of those rousing nights where uh, bizarrely, Ashley Williams scored, um, you know, so an incredible yeah. head on the and and it was, it was a night where the crowd really got behind the players and turned, you know, what was like a really important night into, into, into a rousing home victory. I think we'd like... Uh, we had them won for like about eight or nine games, We battered five at Chelsea. It was like it, it was grim, not as bad as this, but it, you know, it was grim. And it was it turned on that night, but you can't really see that happening. Um, on Monday night because the fans are so disillusioned and disaffected. And it does appear to be the visible board members you like to see, um, true. you know, so you Bill Kenrights and Denise Baxendells who are taking the flak at the moment for the owner. You know, they're effectively shielding him by being visible. I mean, Farhad Massury makes the decisions, you know, so he's the guy that, you know, so makes the appointments and makes the calls, you know, and decides where this money's going to be spent. And he hasn't been, as Chris said, to many games this season. I mean, I think I can remember him being at one, maybe was at Watford where he turned up like 20 minutes into the game. I mean, we're told this text message to uh, to Jim White was you know made from America. Um, so you know, quite rarely watched the game last night. I don't know if you watched the game, no one knows. Uh, but I think it would be really helpful. If he came out and made a proper statement, you know, sort to of the fan base, a to try and reassure them and to try and convince them that he does have, you know, sort of an overarching plan as to what he wants to do, you know, so sort of regarding his running at the football club, because at the moment everyone's left in the dark, you know, so no one knows quite what this, you know, sort of this overarching plan is.
0: We are left to understand B is that Farhad Machine will be in attendance for the Arsenal game next week, but. That puts so much pressure on that 90 minutes for the players, the
1: manager, everyone. I guess that pressure's already there, given that the, the run that they're on now. Um, I think we worked out now it's it's the longest winless run since 1999, um, curiously, which came after the 1-0 victory at Anfield, which was Everton's last victory at Anfield for over two decades. That followed, I think, a similar winless um, run. But yeah, it's... It, it's a huge game, but we, we keep saying this and I suppose the longer it goes on, it's, it's only inevitable, isn't it? I mean, we said Brentford wasn't a must-win game, it was a must-not-lose, but they and lost it um, last night. I mean, the, the, the problem was, as much as it hurts Evertonian's um, last night's game and the way that Liverpool dismantled them with ease, um, it's not those games, it's not the footballing lessons that the Etihad that you're going to define their season as much as you'd like to kind of get a few points from those kind of fixtures. It is the losing to Watford and the losing to Brentford that really hurt, and they should be doing um, much better. And bringing in Rafa Benitez was seen as this bitter pill that Everton had to swallow, horrible taste in the mouth from his association with, with Liverpool. But this was on the proviso that he was seemingly a safe pair of hands that Mr Mashiri thought could uh, safely navigate them to, to bramley Dock, But... Um, Hitting some choppy waters um, right 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 now, and um, might need yeah. a water taxi. Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, it, yeah. It, 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 Rafa talked about how you know eighth means nothing to him. I mean, you chop your hand off now if you offered of them eighth place, like I say, and, um, you know, this is something that both Marco Silver and Sam Allardyce achieved at the club, finishing eighth, and then you know you, you take that um, right now. This is a real problem with Everton looking over the shoulders now at the relegation zone. I think if Burnley had won that game, it was postponed. It could only be a couple of points possibly between them and the, and the drop zone. And you don't know when your next win's coming from. So huge pressure, anyway, against Arsenal. I don't even know whether Mikel Arteta confronting Rafford even roused the crowd like it did at Anfield. <laughs> I, I, I don't know what it would take. But yeah, like I said, whether Mr. Machiri's in attendance or not, huge pressure. They, they, they really do need a result now. Be an interesting straight though. Arteta versus Benitez. Well, what we, we, somebody sent me a, a list of I don't know how they worked it out because it was quite curious. The list of the Premier League's hardest bosses this week I was only nineteen in on the list, and they missed Benitez out. Didn't even, <laughs> didn't even register. So it, it yeah, was top. I don't. Yeah, it was Conte, but it was Conte, uh, exactly gosh, got, shot, um, Sean Dice was in the bottom half, which was was quite was quite strange. Who <laughs> hard over his um, jacketless appearance at a snowy turf more? <laughs> yeah. But yeah, to focus a little bit. On Benitez, Adam,
0: the, the conversation has almost changed and, you know, it, it. it's in the media, social media, and I'm no doubt everyone who, who went the game or watched the game last night was discussing it over their uh, post-match drinks. But for me, it almost feels like the conversation has changed from raffer in or raffer out to if Everton do change manager, who do they get? And this kind of run that we're in of... This isn't working. Sack the manager. It, it's clearly not working. Everton have been left in such a strange position, such a back to the wall position that the, the next logical
3: step just doesn't seem to be appearing. Well, that's it. Like yeah, Everton have just been left in this mad cycle at the minute of, of just you know having this you know, as as be said, this mishmash of a squad essentially. A man, a manager comes in, and he he can't he can't knit them all together. So we sack him, and then we bring in another, and you know he might get it together for a couple of months, and then we sack him, and then it it it, it can't go on like this. And like that's I think that's the that's the quandary that everyone find themselves in, isn't it? Because there's an acceptance that Everton can't just keep sacking managers. They do need to give a manager time at some point to be able to actually you know, produce some sort of system, some sort of idea for the future but you know when you've got this lack of communication as I, as I keep coming back to from the owner and the director of football you don't know what direction the club wants to run in yeah. Who, who's deciding the direction is it the owner or is it the director of football and we don't know what direction the club really wants to go in you know if i have has gone down the route of rafa benitez now i think we've just said previously it seems that you know that was a decision to be made of you know be a stable pair of hands until until they get to Bradley Moore. Is that going to be the case? You know, the, the problem, the problem that you've got with appointing somebody like Rafa Benitez, who Bees rightly says was probably the most controversial appointment in Merseyside football history. You know, if you were gonna go down that route, then you needed to have you know assurances that he was gonna be he, he, he was gonna be able to do it. Well but it, it, it looks at the minute, you know, we've gone eight eight matches now without the Premier League win. We've got Really, really tough games on the horizon. You don't really know where the next points are going to come from. Is that is is that going to be is that going to be enough? Is is, is somebody is Machidi going to end up pulling the trigger? We know he's got an itchy trigger finger, as he as he's proven in the past. He, he's come out with these comments to Jim White today. Some of these was sharing before, and he made similar comments uh, about three weeks or so, I think, before Ronald Koeman ended up ended up getting sacked. <laughs> So, you know, if these are going to be empty comments, then what's the point? He needs to to stick by them if he's going to do it. But I think the the issue that Everton fans have got, and a lot of Everton fans have got, is that, you know, a lot of Everton fans don't believe that Rafa Benitez was the right appointment in the first place. So they were were never behind him. So Rafa Benitez is in a sort of unique position where he was always starting off such a low base that he, he... he couldn't he couldn't afford this kind of runner games essentially because so many supporters were were already just not invested in somebody like Rafa Benitez. so it does that does that then produce this sort of unique situation where the, the cycle has to continue for it to be broken it's it's, it's so it, it, it's such a it's such a mad scenario isn't it because yeah. it, it, you know the, this the Brentford game and this game, I've just felt like huge, huge turning points, and it's felt like massive moments in another managerial tenure. Yeah. like, like the, You you do wonder what's going to happen next, and I, I really do wonder what's going to be, how, well, how Benitez is <laughs> going to be there's able to recover. I, 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 I genuinely don't know how he's going to be able to recover from Liverpool fans throughout that match, singing his name. In the merseyside derby where they've embarrassed everton yeah. i just I, I really wonder where there's a, where there's a way back from that and I, and I feel sorry for benitez in a lot of ways because he's right you know he's faced injury issues you know the, the the problems do escalate a lot further than him but at the same time i think he has made mistakes over the last few weeks in that brentford game i have no idea why he only made one substitution for example uh, against Liverpool, I've got no idea why he only played two in mid, in centre midfield. I think we, it was very evident from the first 30 seconds that we needed three players in central midfield, but he waited until we were 3-0 down, to, uh, 3-1 down, sorry, uh, to eventually bring Fabian Delfon. So he's made mistakes as well, but he's not he's not the overriding issue. He's part of the problem over the last few weeks, but he's not the, the major issue and that's why I do feel sorry for him and I understand why there's a lot of there's a lot of talk about whether (laughs) this this managerial cycle and how Everton get off it, but it's just you know after after a game like that Merseyside derby, it just felt so significant that I, I do just wonder where where Everton go next.
1: The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
0: I'm sure you'll appreciate that myself and Adam and a few others from the Echo Sport desk ended up in in the grapes last night. (laughs) And we were one of the things we were discussing and feels quite pertinent is that it doesn't actually feel that long ago. And it wasn't that long ago that we were sat on this podcast discussing how almost flawless the start Rafa Benitez had had at Everton had been. You know, it wasn't long after you spoke to him At Finch Farm and all the ideas he he seemingly was having were coming across well. The decisions he made, I don't think at the time, after the results, even the draw at Old Trafford and we beat Norwich, I don't think anyone was batting an eyelid that we'd moved Hannes Rodriguez on, that we'd moved Moise Keane on. The decision to bring Solomon Rondon in seems solid. Andros Townsend had had a great start. He's dropped off in recent weeks. Are you surprised by how quickly that downturn has come into effect, kind of mitigated obviously by injuries and form, but it wasn't that long ago that everything seemed fine.
2: I am surprised, but yeah, you do have to take into account, you know, so the mitigating circumstances that you mentioned there. I mean, the start of the season was bright. Um, I think somebody told me before last night that Rafael Benitez had taken the same number of points from his first 13 games as Carlo Ancelotti took from his last 13 games, And um, and that was like, you know, on the back of a very, very bright start to the season. After the draw at Old Trafford, you know, with the international break, everybody was very, very upbeat and, you know, to me, I think we're fifth in the table and looking forward to a, you know, sort of a decent campaign. And it's no coincidence that, you know, so Calvert Lewin had been out of the equation then for a couple of games. uh, Takori got injured. Yeri Mina, I saw a stat actually this morning which surprised me that Everton have conceded, I think it was 1.14 goals per game this season. With Mina, 2.28. Without him, you know. So I didn't realize he was quite that influential, Um, but it is like effectively a spine of the side uh, taken out. And also, if you bear in mind that you know the the people that Rafa brought into the club, he did so with a very limited game plan in mind. And uh, that was because he only had, you know, so literally what, 1.7 million quid to spend. And so he brought in a couple of wide players who he knew would be, you know, direct, would offer pace that the squad lacked and would be able to get crosses into the box to take advantage of the aerial threat of Calvert-Lewin and to a lesser degree with Carlison. And then obviously, you know, so Calvert-Lewin is taken out of the equation. And so that entire strategy is rendered pretty much redundant. Um, And, you know, we, we start looking like a team lacking massively in creativity as a result of that. So, yeah, I'm surprised how it has unravelled as quickly as it has. Um, but you also have to bear in mind, you know, so why that has been the case, the manager has had a really, really difficult, you know, sort of set of cards to play with. Um, but, you know, he's paid, you know, so a good sum of money to actually provide solutions to that. And uh, he's, he's got to do it. I mean, uh, totally take on board what Adam said about the formation last night. I was surprised that, you know, Liverpool were given so much space in midfield that Everson were, allowing Liverpool to dictate. If you say allow Liverpool to dictate, I mean, this is an outstanding Liverpool team that has battered so many teams this season. I mean, they've scored two goals in every single game, bar one. 20 out of 21 matches, they've scored at least two goals. And the only one they didn't was Chelsea, when Chelsea had 10 men, so defended deep. They scored five at Old Trafford in 50 minutes. You know, they're an absolutely incredible side. I said on the last podcast, one of the best Liverpool teams I think I've ever seen. But it doesn't help that when you actually allow them, you know, sort of to play to their strengths by gifting them a little bit of you know sort of midfield freedom. And we did that, you know, so very, very early on last night. So the manager has to take some responsibility for that. But overall, no, he's he's been dealing with a very, very dodgy set of cards, you know, so for a long time now. And again, as I said last week, I think it's we're gonna have to endure it a little bit longer because there's no obvious sign of Calvert Lewin returning. I think Phil wrote in his piece today that it could be boxing day before we even see him again. Yeri Mina, who knows how much longer he's going to be out for. But, you know, that's only two players now, you know, so the other players are starting to come back. Damari Gray's available, Takura's available. Uh, So, you know, we've got to try and find solutions to this uh, because otherwise we will end up, you know, embroiled in a relegation fight. At the moment, there's still a little bit of daylight between ourselves and the teams at the bottom, but that can be eroded very, very quickly, Um, you know, so depending on what other teams do. uh, And provided we don't pick up, you know, some points in the next few games. I mean, Arsenal traditionally that's a team that we've done okay against the goodest over the last few years you know there's nothing to suggest that again we should be terrified of and then Palace Palace are decent Palace are you know, you know well organised having a reasonable season so far but again a game that we need to get something from so we need to find solutions to these problems very very quickly otherwise things will get even worse
0: Same question for you quickly David is there a way back for Rafa Benitez still?
2: I think so I mean Again, I said last week I worried about the worst-case scenario last night, which was getting battered and having the Liverpool fans, you know, so sort of singing Rafael Benitez's name, and that in turn then turns the fans who have actually supported him and backed him against him, you know, because it was just like, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back. But I didn't see that. I think a lot of fans, I mean, the ones that didn't want him to begin with are never going to want him, but that's always going to be the case. Uh, but a lot of fans... Realizing, you know, so sort of the problems he's had to deal with, and I've just spoken about earlier, there are so many more problems at the football club, you know, so sort of rather than just, you know, so sort of this manager who is a good coach and is a good manager, you know, we know that. Um, so yeah, of course, there's a way back, but you know, it's it's, it's going to be tough. I mean, uh, remember, do you think about the FA Cup draw? <laughs> how we uh, how we desperately don't want to get Manchester City away in the third round, and you know, man, <laughs> yeah, the, the season ended immediately. Um, there is a way back, but it's going to be tough. But, you know, in order to find that way back, he's got to find solutions on the pitch very, very quickly uh, and start getting results together very, very quickly.
0: These, I know that Yeri Mina and Donna Carvert-Lewin are so important to the way Everton play. M- Mina is a unit at the back of the fence, was probably in, in the best form of his Everton career before he got injured and, and Carvert-Lewin adds so much to, to the attack. There's not really a player like him in the ranks at the moment, but there's the argument to be made that last night they were the only two on that pitch who, who would have started over the team Rafa Benitez selected? And as Adam and Preno pointed out, he did get it wrong with the choice of system in midfield and Liverpool would afforded too much space, but some players who are horribly out of form in that team at the moment and really do, you know, the manager's getting a lot of stick, the board are getting a lot of stick. People... A lot of people are taking a lot of flack, rightly so. But you know, there's a lot of players out there who are not doing, yeah. who are seemingly just playing for the shirt, or who yeah. who who just look really poor. Alan last night, for example, I thought was was awful.
1: Yeah, he's been struggling I think since uh, Decore got injured. Up to here, Decore's back now, but yeah, he's, he's he's dropped off, and he's not the only one. Keep naming individuals, but yeah, look, Luca Dean. You could say because he's not had the Calvert Lewin as an outlet to cross to, but he I don't know what seems to have happened. But his crossing, he seems to sort of hesitate a lot now. As whereas before, you wouldn't think he'd just get forward and put in those great deliveries. And he's another one, you know, international class player, plays for world champions France, so there's no doubt in his pedigree. Look at the other teams he's played for PSG, Roma, Barcelona. What a quality footballer is, but he's not enjoying his best football. And he's and like, you say, he's, he's certainly not the only one in life as Ireland. There's our players who are woefully out of form, and when you get a few like that, you really are in trouble. Yeah, Calvert Loon's your top scorer from last season and is um, going to be a, a vital cog in, in, in any sort of a team. There's no like right for like replacement, I'd say, even in the Premier League for him, the way he is uh, such a dominant aerial player. Um, so, yeah, that's going to change the way Everton play, and again at your end of the pitch, um, Yerry you know I Mean is the, the dominant. Centre back, but yeah, like you're saying, as a whole, that's only two players, and that's unfortunate. But injuries can happen like that; you can be without a couple of players, and yeah, there should be more than enough in there. Maybe, like I said before, maybe not as much as it hurts, as maybe not to get something against Liverpool or Manchester City, but you know, all these other fixtures at Brentford, even Arsenal at home, should we have enough on on the pitch there to to get results in matches like that? So. um you can't just keep saying the, the injuries. Yes, it is, it's It's a tough blow for Benitez. And, it's, and it has sort of given people a bit more sympathy for him that he's been without his main goal-scoring outlet. But it's not like he's got half the team out there. Most of those injuries are back now. And even players who'd started the season well. I mean, um, Townsend got mentioned as well before. Great starts of the season. He's, he's dropped off. So when a few of them are all struggling, you, you really are concerned about... Why aren't they picking the points up? And the longer that goes, it's almost quarter of the season now without without a victory, and all those other teams I said below them have sort of closed the gap, and some of them have picked up and have changed their manager. I don't think a change of managers are ch- the the um, the solution, like we said, there's been so many you just can't keep repeating the process. As much, whether you wanted Benitez in the first place or not, and I you know I, I wouldn't have made that appointment certainly, and I think I've been. Um, quite clear about that, but once he's, he's in there now, yeah, I just can't see how the repeating the cycle and changing the manager is the, is the solution. But Rafael Bonitas, with or without these injured players, should be doing a lot better.
2: The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.
0: And it's the uh, the second of December, twenty twenty one. Adam, if you would have told me, I'd be saying this a year ago. I might have, might well have said you were mad. But is it time against Arsenal? For Fabian Delph. I <laughs> <You're gonna laughs>
3: I mean, yeah. yeah, I I was, I was shocked that he didn't start against Brentford because I, I think that you know you can kind of discount that Man City game. Everyone was pretty poor in that Man City game, and you know as B's rightly said, you know they're they're not the t- kind of the teams that we should be. Looking to beat uh, necessarily, and you know, hoping that we're going to get three points out of this season, like, as as much as as much as we'd love to. Uh, but like, I think in the two games previously to that, Fabian Delph had been Everton's best player. You know, he would come on against Wolves, and I think he ended up helping to change the game in that second half. And you know, Everton might have come out with a with a draw uh, in a different scenario on the on that day. And I thought he was really good in the hour that he played. Against Spurs as well, you know he's just an effective player who can sit in front of that back four. His positional awareness in terms of defense, I think, is really, really good. He's always looking for the ball off the centre backs. He's really tidy in possession and gets, uh, gets Everton, you know, progressing up the pitch. You know, it's it's all, it's all really simple things. You know, I've, I've said before on the podcast, it's not as if he's you know putting in these barnstorming performances. You know, he, he's putting in you know seven, seven and a half out of ten performances, but. Yeah, there's, so, there's so few Everton players who are consistently doing that at this point that yeah. it, it kind of elevates him into one of Everton's most informed players. So to see him among the substitutes against Brentford, I was I was a little bit shocked, even with Abdullah Dekore coming back because I just thought that, you know, Dekore is obviously, you know, he's got a huge engine on him and, you know, his defensive positional awareness is really good. And, you know, I think he gets forward uh, a lot as well. But you know, I, I don't think there was any sort of Semblance that he was going to be fully match fit, and then putting him next to Allen, who, as we've said, is struggling, and you know I think his mobility has probably been uh, one of his key components that has been failing so far this season. So it just made sense for me to put to put three in midfield in in, in that game. He didn't, and I, I was kind of thinking to myself, oh, okay, maybe he's you know Fabian Delph has had injury issues and you know his own fitness problems. Maybe he's resting him. And just making sure that he's fit for the derby. No, <laughs> didn't didn't do that either. Didn't didn't uh, didn't match up against Liverpool in that midfield, which I think was a huge mistake. And you know, you see for Henderson's uh, opening goal of the game, you've got Decore and Allen essentially in the six-yard box. You could throw a blanket over, I think, about seven Everton players who were just essentially marking the same space. And Jordan Henderson's got the freedom of about like ten yards on the edge of the box. It's a really good finish from him, to be fair, but. He shouldn't have that much space on the edge of the Everton box, especially not that early in the game. Um, You know, would it have been a little bit different if Everton have had three players in midfield if Alan and Decore could have trusted Delft to be marking that space in the edge of the six-yard box? Maybe they'd have been hanging around the edge of the penalty area. You know, it's it's it, if, if but to maybe. But I do think that Everton would have been much more effective if they'd have had another man in midfield. And, you know, as I say, Delft is, you know de facto one of Everton's most informed players at the minute. So yeah, I think against Arsenal, I do think he he needs to be starting and I, I do think it would be it would be wise to go for a three three man midfield. Who drops out of that team, I'm not sure. Uh, well actually probably Salman Round honestly <laughs> after after his injury now. So yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think Fabian Delph does become one of the first names on the team sheet for me, which is you know, as you say, really, really interesting <laughs> situation to be in.
0: It was almost a Shakespearean tragicomedy moment last night, Dave, as Solomon Rondon goes off his best performance in Everton to a standing ovation and a and a tweaked hamstring. We we hope that Toby hasn't completely pulled it because we need anyone we can get. For that attacking line against Arsenal, where do you even go with it? Richarlison, another player horribly out of form. Andros Townsend uh, out of form. Do you change it up? Do you put Richarlison down the middle? shane Ch- Ch- Tosin, Ellis Sims. Where where do you go with it?
2: We, we've spoken before about Richarlison uh, playing centre forward and how he's not a centre forward, you know. So he's much better playing off a player, and you are nullifying his effectiveness by playing him up top and asking him to try and hold the ball, especially in the manner in which Benitez has set his teams up to play. They take advantage of crosses from the flanks, and for me, the the only like for like. Well, as we said earlier, there isn't a like-for-like like like replacement for Dominic Calvert-Lewin. simon Rondon, you know, did do very well last night, comparatively speaking, compared to what we've seen from him previously. You know, he held the ball up well, put himself about, um, you know, he, he did okay. The only other player we've got um, of that ilk is Tosen. And, you know, he was brought, admittedly, many years ago to take advantage of crosses from the flanks and did so briefly, you know, um, you know in the... Oh. Games really hard, you know, under Sam Allardyce. That's how long ago it was, and then has scored, you know, a couple of goals since. And to me, I think that if you're going to persist with this system of, you know, sort of getting the ball into wide areas and trying to get crosses into the box, which we did at Brentford. I mean, how many times did you see good quality balls in from the flanks just going begging? I mean, Damari Gray on at least a couple of occasions because there's nobody in there. Rondon wasn't up to speed enough to get on the end of. He had you know, one in the first half, so Tosin's the only other player that fits that bill. Ellis Sims possibly. Uh, but he's just come back from a major injury himself and has been out for a long, long time and has got no first-team experience whatsoever and, you know, that is asking so much of such a young lad in a game of that importance. So, for me, Cenk I think, you know, has to be brought in from the cold there. He got a couple of minutes last night and managed to miscontrol one with his first touch. But um, I can't see any other alternative, to be honest, other than changing the shape entirely. And trying to uh, do something completely and dramatically different, which I don't think, you know, Benitez has showed any semblance of doing so far this season.
0: Fabian Delph and Cenk Tosin starting forever yeah. in 2021
2: 20, through the fourth. Exactly. I mean, the same thing with Fabian Delph last night. I, I was with Adam in that I thought he was saved on sun, Sunday specifically for this game. You know, so no matter what his fitness record is like, you know, why run the risk of him getting a tweak or, you know, sort of playing for an hour at Brentford? If you're going to start him against Liverpool. And when I saw the team shooting, realised he wasn't started, I couldn't quite understand the rationale for not involving him at Brentford. It was just, it was strange. Um, so again, you know, I totally would want him to start against Arsenal I hope he will start against Arsenal. But whether he will, who knows? Because the manager might have something completely different up his sleeve for that one.
0: Well, we are streaming this podcast live on. Facebook then, I've just noticed that the way bees has sat, it kind of looks like me and Adam have took him hostage and he's wearing a straight jacket. <laughs> <laughs> Everton
1: have finally sent him clinically insane. I'm sort of the opposite of Dave there. I'm, I'm glowing yeah, the on right. <laughs> the,
0: the, <angel, laughs> the angel in the darkness. Well, I'll, I'll leave the final word with, with you then, mm-hmm. bees. But last night has uh, exposed once again the, the flaws that Everton and Rafa Benitez do have. In this squad, how important is January going to be for Everton in, in, in this team that very well might make find themselves in the relegation zone oh, going into that
1: one? You've in, in on, on the pitch or in terms recruitment? I think in terms of recruitment, yeah. I don't know if it's going to make much difference, to be honest. People might not want to hear this, but who can you realistically get in January? Other than when, obviously, Liverpool paid a world record fee for a centre-back for Virgil van Dijk, and that was a deal that they'd had to put off from the previous summer when they... They've been a bit naughty. Um, so, um, yeah, who, who do you bring in? I mean, last time Everton spent big in January, they got Tosin. the have to mention Tosin. And Theo Walcott, who also proved underwhelming in the, on the long term. So, I, I'm sorry, people want to people think that the cavalry is going to come. I mean, like say, Rafa may have an ace up his sleeve, but he's actually probably competing against his former club, Newcastle United, now in, in terms of who's going to have money to spend in in January, and they're going to kind of throw silly, they're in a position where they can probably throw silly money at sort of, players who might be in that similar market to whatever they're looking at. I don't really see there being major recruitment. I, I think, I know Everton have freed up a bit of space now with uh, obviously James Rodriguez's departure and Moyes Keane going out on a long-term loan to, back to Juventus, which will I know all being well turned into a permanent deal. So they have to read up. they've got a bit that what we call the wriggle room, haven't they, um, despite what was said in that study. But who, who are you going to bring in in January? I don't actually see there being many major recruits and it's notoriously a bad market to to work in. So it might not be the answer that people want to hear say, oh yeah, we're gonna, uh, I'm going to bring in A, B and C and everything will be okay. I think he's going to have to work with what he's got to a, a large extent. And I wouldn't sort of pin many hopes and, on new faces coming in in January. Certainly anyone who's going to be any sort of major signing. I, I, maybe maybe I'm going to be wrong, but I, I just don't see him. Well, for anyone who's listened, we, we have had a good old-fashioned rant there for the last
0: 40 minutes, and I hope you lads feel better, and hopefully you listeners will be feeling better after the Arsenal game on Monday. Hopefully a much-needed three points. But as always, thank you so much for listening. We've been the Royal Blue Podcast. You can follow the Royal Blue Podcast group on Facebook or find the lads on Twitter and pose them. Any questions you might have moving forwards. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back before the Arsenal game. We've been the Royal Blue Podcast.
1: You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.